Neil, how long do you think we'd last if we were picked up in a van by the FSB and thrown in the Lubyanka? I don't know. I might last, like, maybe an hour under interrogation. I can give it a good try. I think you'd make it longer, maybe like two, three hours. <laughs> I, on the other hand, I don't think I'd fare well. No, you would fare well. <laughs> <laughs> Which is why we'll stick to the podcasting. <laughs> Hey, Doobie friends. Hi, Sandra. Hi, Neil, and welcome to Dubious to all our listeners, old and new. This week, we have another spy story. One Russian spy and one alleged American spy. We think that only one of the two people arrested for espionage, one by Russia near Moscow and one by the U.S. in Brazil, is really a spy, though. The other one, eh, not so sure. Exactly, but we are certain that the two arrests are related and the timing of how things unfolded is not a coincidence. Yeah, the Russian spy story broke on March the 26th in The Guardian and just four days later, on March the 30th, the Wall Street Journal reporter was arrested near Moscow. I don't think that's a coincidence. I agree, it's too on the nose. So we'll start by telling the story of Victor Mueller Ferreira, who turned out to be Sergei Cherkashov, a GRU spy. <laughs> you know, GRU, for our listeners who don't know yet, is the Russian Military Intelligence Service. And we'll try to connect the dots and talk about Evan Gershkovich, a Wall Street Journal journalist who is probably not a spy in his arrest on espionage charges in Russia. I mean, about the GRU spy, though, we're talking earlier on the phone about this case, and it seems to us, at least, that lately... Uh, Putin's intelligence services have been doing a fairly job at training, <laughs> you know, their spies. Yes, we'll explain why in a minute. Uh, Sergei Cherkashov was an illegal. So these are the spies that are embedded in a foreign country with a made up name, uh, legend and so on. Right. They're very hard to find and catch. Usually it happens when an asset we already have and who is working for, you know, in this case, I think the Russian government. But, you know, being a double agent, also working for us, blows the cover of these illegals. Now, the illegal spies have obviously no legal protection if they're caught in the country they're spying on or in, a, in another country other than their own. And then we have the legal spies. Uh, these are people working in embassies and consulates. They're all considered potential spies, despite the fact that most of them are not, not really spies. I mean, there are consular officers who deal with visas and Americans in trouble abroad. There are support staff, there is the security staff and so on. But some are trained in counterintelligence too. So for example, our embassy personnel in Russia, they're not all spies, obviously, but the Russians keep an eye on all of them anyway. It's assumed that they're there to do intelligence work, though, just like we keep an eye on all Russian diplomats and consular offices, basically anyone working for a foreign embassy. Mm -hmm. The difference is that if you're a legal spy caught spying, nothing really happens to you, or at least nothing horrific like life in prison. You are just declared persona non grata by the country you're caught in or spying on, and then uh, you're sent home, basically. Yes, so our boy Sergei Chukasov will probably grow old in prison. But let's start at the beginning. According to a Wall Street Journal article by Greg Miller, uh, we'll link it in the episode notes, Victor Muller Ferreira was ecstatic when he was admitted to Johns Hopkins University's graduate school in Washington in 2018. This is what he wrote in an email to his handlers. 
Today, we made the future. Note the we. We managed to get into one of the top schools in the world. This is the victory that belongs to all of us, man. The entire team. Today, we f***ing drink. <laughs> Do you know, I, I can't believe that these emails, I, I, I don't understand how he kept them. It's anyway. So basically, he had unencrypted communications that he kept on his laptop with his handlers. Well, as we'll see next, Russian spies seemingly are not what they used to be. <laughs> so how did Sergei Cherkasov manage to get into Johns Hopkins, into grad school no less, and later on get an internship at the International Criminal Court? Right. Uh, there's a discussion to be had here about how these gateway universities, I mean, gateway to our intelligence agencies, because a lot of graduates from John Hopkins and Dickinson end up working for the DIA, the CIA, the FBI, the NSA, and so on. So there's a discussion that we could have here about the way these schools vet their students, or even if they're supposed to be vetting them. I think that's actually the responsibility of our intelligence people to do that. I mean, they should have more employees in these colleges, I guess. And there's also another thought that crossed my mind. And then I promise we'll get back to our story. But I must say this. I feel like not enough people in America actually appreciate the work of the real intelligence agents. You know, everyone is so obsessed with the military. I never understood this. It's almost, I don't want to upset anyone, but it's almost pathological. Like the whole reverence thing, like all the countries have military. Everyone, every single country on earth, has a military, but only here you have people getting all, oh, thank you for your service. I mean, of course you're thankful. It's implied. I just feel like it's so. There's a great quote that goes right along with this. When Babe Ruth was the first baseball player to make over a million dollars, way back when, uh, a reporter asked him if he felt bad about that because the president did not make that much money. And without missing a beat, he said, can the president hit a baseball? That's it. It's, I mean... Fighter jets fly over football games. That's why they revere the military, because it's cool. There's nothing cool about a guy like filling out some reports and dropping them in a secret mailbox. It's kind of boring. So I mean, depends. <laughs> I, I don't know. Like, I mean, there are spy stories that are really your joy is going to be on the floor. I mean, what I guess it's because maybe the intelligence people, their work is so cloaked and Obviously, they're not going to come out in the open and say, I think maybe that's one of the reasons I'm just saying that as somebody who has been to a bunch of countries and stuff, nowhere have I seen this whole thing with like, thank you so much. Uh, Lockheed Martin and Ray Theon are thankful for the check. And that's what it's really all about. <laughs> so anyway, nobody says that to school teachers uh, who, let's be honest, are civilians and have a harder job dealing with a uh, classroom full of kids especially when there are mass shooters like every other day. And nobody says thank you for your service to doctors and nurses either. So why is that? Yeah, let's not forget that. I love our military and what they do for us at great personal risk, but so do our intelligence field people, for example. And believe it or not, even the foreign service officers, so those are State Department people, the ones who staff our embassies and consulates abroad, many have been killed in Iraq, Afghanistan, Beirut, Lebanon, Cyprus, Kenya, Jordan, and other hardship posts. And yet, most Americans have nothing but disdain for the State Department. I think they assume that diplomatic staff just kind of like hangs around the embassies drinking whiskey and doing nothing. But 
so far, no foreign service officer tried to overthrow our government. In fact, quite the opposite. I mean, just one more thing, and then I promise we get back. Remember Cassidy Hutchinson, the one who testified about Trump's behavior on January 6th? She's a foreign service officer, and we could make an entire episode about her personal story. And basically, she almost went bankrupt, and her colleagues had to chip in and help, plus personal death threats, and it's a bad situation. But I digressed. But I really wanted to point out that as somebody who was born in another country, this exacerbated reverence we have for the military is very peculiar. <laughs> well, I suppose it kind of is, yeah. You needed a Zen moment. Yes, a very short Zen moment. Let's just be Zen for a second. I need to cool off a bit. <laughs> okay, back to our spies before everyone uh, clicks this off, so... Are you guys still here? We promise we're sticking to the spy story from now on. That's it. <laughs> According to a series of international investigations, as well as an indictment the Justice Department filed in federal court, Sergei, a.k.a. Victor Muller Ferreira, was in fact not a Brazilian student, as he claimed, but a GRU operative from Kaliningrad. And as we learned from the Wall Street Journal, Sergei had spent nearly a decade building this fictitious Ferreira persona. His team, right, the people he referred to in the email we read earlier as his team, they were a bunch of Russian handlers who suddenly were poised to have a deep cover spy in the U.S. capital. This was not a small thing, as Sergei was perfectly positioned, to be honest, to forge connections in every corner of the American security establishment, from the State Department to the CIA. And as per the FBI affidavit, using the access he gained during his two years in Washington, Sergei Cherkashov filed reports to his bosses in Russia's military intelligence uh, on how senior officials in the Biden administration were responding to the Russian military buildup before the war in Ukraine. More about that in a minute. After he graduated, he came close to achieving a more consequential position when he was offered a job at the International Criminal Court in The Hague. He was supposed to start a six-month internship there in 2022, just as the court began investigating Russian war crimes in Ukraine. Ooh, but thankfully, he was turned away by Dutch authorities acting on information relayed by the FBI. So by this point, it's clear we had been keeping our eye on Sergei for a while, quite a while. Officials in the Netherlands put him on a plane back to Brazil, where he was arrested upon landing, and Sergei is now serving a 15-year prison sentence for document fraud related to his fake identity. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. You know what I always say, right? You can ignore your trauma and hope it disappears, but the only way forward is to deal with it. Life keeps throwing curveballs at all of us. Fireballs, speedballs, too many balls. <laughs> and when you're overwhelmed, you're not at your best and it affects your interactions with the people you care about. So how do you deal with it all? Call your therapist like I do. Yes, dupe friends, I'm a BetterHelp happy customer. I've been using their services since way before we even started this podcast. I can attest to the fact that Sandra is, uh, shall we say, a much lovelier person to be around. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shut up. Also, my therapist will love hearing that. With BetterHelp, you can tap into a network of over 25,000 licensed and experienced therapists who can help you with a wide range of issues. 
If you're thinking of giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a great option. It's convenient, it's affordable, it's flexible, and most importantly, it's entirely online. And you'll get 10% off of your first month if you sign up at betterhelp.com slash dubious, or just click that link in the episode notes. Yes, and then you can talk to your therapist whenever and however you feel comfortable, whether it's via text, chat, phone, or video call. If your therapist isn't the right fit for any reason, you can switch to a new therapist at no additional charge. So do yourself a favor, take care of your mental health, because when you feel empowered, you are prepared to take on everything life throws at you. Visit BetterHelp.com dubious to get 10% off of your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash dubious. The details that have since come to light provide an extraordinary perspective into the highly cloaked aspects of Russian intelligence, including the Kremlin's almost obsessive effort to infiltrate Western targets with quote-unquote illegals. Now, I have to say this. I mean, look, Putin is evil, a monster, we know that. Uh, Russia's SVR, FSB, GRU, as they did through their entire history since Felix Derzhinsky, aka Iron Felix, the father of the Russian intelligence services. You know, he's also the one who created the Cheka, anyway, the secret police who abused and oppressed Russians. So through their entire history, the Russian services have basically tortured and, you know, kept Russians under control, and they were very aggressive in their stance and their operations against the West. We know that. But saying that the Russians are the only ones obsessed with infiltrating foreign targets with illegals is half accurate, because the other half, I mean, we do the same. That's what spy agencies do. Part of it. That's the game, right? We can't be upset. I don't know. The Western countries do have their principles. Mm -hmm. Uh, They are, at least by the book, more humane. Um, I mean, if we catch our own spying on us, like we did with Aldrich Ames, he goes to prison. Uh, the Russians, well, it's not so neat. You know, they torture and kill their double agents. And also, if they catch illegals, they do not usually meet a happy fate either. That's very true, yes. Sergei Chikasov's case, though, has revealed a big vulnerability in Western defenses more than a decade after the FBI arrested 10 Russian illegals in a sweep that made global headlines back then. Yes, those arrests inspired the creation of a really good TV series, The Americans. It's one of my all-time favorites. I highly recommend it. Now, U.S. officials admit that the Bureau discovered Cherkashov's identity and GRU affiliation only after his arrival in Washington. I guess the issue here being... How did he manage to not raise any red flags with his fake passport and credentials before, you know, while entering, like at the border, at the, in the airport? But according to Wall Street Journals, these revelations have also exposed serious lapses in Russian tradecraft. Authorities have uh, mined Cherkashov's computer and other devices and found a lot of evidence, including emails to his Russian handlers, like we mentioned before. Details about dead drops, uh, where messages could be left, records of illicit money transfers, and an error-strewn personal history that he appears to have composed while trying to memorize these details of his fictitious life. His arrest last April came at the outset of an ongoing roll-up of Russian intelligence networks across Europe, a crackdown launched after Russia's invasion of Ukraine that officials say has inflicted greater damage on Kremlin spy agencies than any other effort since the end of the Cold War. So how exactly did they catch Cherkashov? 
Well, it's not exactly clear when and how he got on the radar of our intelligence people, but the charges filed against Cherkashov followed a multi-year investigation in which FBI agents gained access to devices seized by authorities in Brazil and were allowed to meet with the accused spy face-to-face in Sao Paulo. As expected, Russia has denied that Cherkashov is a spy and requested his extradition from Brazil by presenting what U.S. officials regard as another fictional identity, claiming that he is neither a student nor a secret agent, but a wanted heroin trafficker who fled Russia to avoid prison. (laughs) I mean, you gotta give them props for creativity, right? I suppose. um, (laughs) Chikachov's stories and timeline of his life have also shifted dramatically since his arrest. After initially insisting that he was Ferreira, and that Dutch authorities were wrong, he admitted his Russian identity in hopes that doing so would help him secure a reduced sentence. And even then, Cherkashov tried to engage in further deception tactics, and according to the Brazilian court records, we find out that at one point he gave this, like, broken-hearted, tearful confession in which he said he had fled Russia out of fear of punishment for a petty crime. He then aligned his story, yet again, to the story presented by the Russian government, the one about him being a heroin trafficker. A bit about his legend, his fake uh, CV, in other words. A replacement birth certificate bearing the Ferreira name was apparently issued in 2009, the year before Chikashov arrived in Brazil. A driver's license followed, but with a photo of someone other than him. The paper trail shows that Chikashov's path was cleared in advance by Russian enablers and agents already in place. The GRU appears to have exploited vulnerabilities in Brazil's immigration and record-keeping system, while uh, also getting some inside help. Right, like bribing people. I think (laughs) that's where we're going with this. According to Brazilian records and uh, the U.S. indictment, a notary who signed off on many of Cherkashov's fraudulent papers received gifts, including a pricey Swarovski necklace. Now, I don't know. In my book, I mean, it's a Swarovski necklace, not a diamond necklace, but I don't know. I wouldn't risk anything for a Swarovski <laughs> necklace. You gotta come with, like, much more than that. <laughs> now, after he managed to get a foothold with those first documents provided by other Russian spies in Brazil... Our boy Sergei proceeded to collect additional residency documents under the Ferreira identity, including a taxpayer ID, a new driver's license with a photo that actually matched his appearance this time, and a Brazilian passport. And in his first years in Brazil, he even worked at a travel agency that the FBI suspects was run by a GRU operative. Just like in the Americans, you know, the Russian spies in the in the TV series also own the travel agency. This is so crazy. <laughs> <laughs> that was the thing in the uh, in the Vice story about uh, the Russian pilots who just kept their airplanes after the Soviet party fell apart and stayed in Africa. They got a travel agency too. They'll fly whatever you want flown. Yeah, well, so. <laughs> they were trained by the same. Uh, <laughs> People, I guess they don't so. care. They'll fly heroin. They'll fly RPGs. They'll fly grenades. They'll fly machetes. They don't give a shit. So, anyways, Cherkashov's legend, this fabricated backstory, was a complex and uh, rather tragic kind of Oliver Twist story. 
It depicted a sad upbringing involving a series of surrogate caretakers and extended departures from the country after the death of his mother. The GRU presented Chukashov as the son of Jirachi Eliza Ferreira, a Brazilian woman who died in 1993. In reality, according to her nephew, she died childless. Of course, I mean, it, it's crazy, but, it, you know, it took him so far, this identity. Now, one of the weirder pieces of evidence in this case is a four-page document found on Sergei's computer. It's written in Portuguese and, as per the Wall Street Journal, reads like the notes of an actor trying to familiarize himself with a part. Now, this is what the document said. I am Victor Mueller Ferreira. Then Sergei describes like his uh, hate for the smell of fish near a bridge in Rio de Janeiro. Then he describes a pinup poster of Pamela Anderson in a mechanics shop where he supposedly worked. Um, <laughs> it's a little crazy, yeah. Other passages seem to be preparation to divert suspicion about his blonde hair and puzzling accent. Uh, rehearsing ways to deflect such attention by claiming... German ancestry and long stretches out of the country during which his Portuguese skills declined. Quote, my fellow pupils often used to joke about my looks and my accent. It says about his days at schools he never really went to. They called me gringo. And that's why I did not have many friends. Oh, I mean, honestly, what's the craziest <laughs> thing here is the fact that he was still holding on to this document on his laptop 10 years later. This is such a major breach of operational security that it's almost insane he kept it. I, I do get the details with the smell of the fish and stuff, you know, that gives like reality vibes to his story, right? Like he was trying to make it as plausible and the pinup poster. And, like I get the detail. I just don't get why he kept it, I guess. I don't know. It's like uh, I still have the dog's shot records from like 2015. Why? I mean, I don't know. I've never uh, thrown stuff that's away. That's different. I think that shows that you're a responsible <laughs> dog parent because, you know, it's good to have the, the girl's medical records, right? Well, let's be honest. I only look at the last 10 documents in one folder and everything that came before that just piles up forever. Yeah. So, I mean, anyways. but also you're not a spy, so, you know, but you I'm haven't been spy, trained. So yeah. I don't care. So. <laughs> yeah. It is rather stupid. You don't even have to be trained as a spy to know that, you know, if you wrote down something incriminating, delete that shit. You know, don't leave it <laughs> hanging around till you forget about it. Exactly. Crazy. Anyway, just to clarify, Sergei initially obtained a degree. So because we didn't mention this before, he initially obtained a degree at Trinity College in Dublin in Ireland. And then he applied to two graduate programs in Washington and the FBI affidavit doesn't name the universities, but professors and uh, some students at John Hopkins confirmed that Sergei was a student there. Now, Cherkashov, our Sergei, was obviously very happy about being admitted to John Hopkins, which it's, you know, like, for good reason, not anybody gets into that school. And a few weeks later, when he obtained a student visa to enter the United States, he wrote to his handlers in Russia, quote, Man, I got it. I got it. We go there, again, like Neil said earlier, note the we. We go there being welcomed. We won't, bro. Now we are in the big boys league. <laughs> <laughs> he was actually 33 years old when he started at Johns Hopkins, but was posing as a student in his late 20s. And nobody had any suspicions about him, you know. As we said a minute ago, he's a fair, blonde-haired guy. 
he really didn't raise any red flags, which is a bit worrying, I suppose. Eugene Finkel, a professor and native Russian speaker who had Cherkashov in two classes at Johns Hopkins, including one on genocide, said, I didn't suspect any Russian in his behavior or accent. Yeah, and this is where my dubimital alarms go off. I mean, how is it possible that nobody suspected the thing? Just like nobody suspected, we're going to make another little digression, but guess what? Our ad-free content? <laughs> yes. Our listeners can get all of our episodes ad-free if they become patrons on DubiousPod.com. Yes, Gubi friends, if you want to support us and enable us to bring new content every week, please become a patron on dubiaspot.com or by clicking the link in the episode notes right here in the app you're listening to us in. It's cheaper than a fancy coffee and you get all our episodes, no ads, only happiness, well, not only drama, I guess. Yes, I mean, let's be honest, they're a bit tragic at times, but, uh, you know, that's yeah. what we do. Yeah, we love drama. I have a t-shirt that says drama queen. <laughs> That's very fitting. Anyways, nobody suspected anything about Sergei. That is worrying, yes. Uh, if a native Russian speaker couldn't detect his accent, then maybe Sergei wasn't as badly trained as we initially thought. In a posting on Twitter after the case became public, Finkel said Chukashov had been very smart and competent and presented himself as Brazilian with Irish roots, so... His weird accent made sense. I would look at that professor a bit if I were in the CIA, just saying, <laughs> you know, just because if you're a native speaker of Russian, I mean, I don't know. Maybe the professor's not a native speaker and he lied his way into Johns Hopkins too. Ah, <laughs> I, I, that I doubt, but I, I just feel that it's kind of weird that on the other hand, when you have hundreds of students, it's, I, I don't know. Yeah. And at uh, the end of the day, it's not the professor's job. No, of course, of interrogate course. Interrogate students. I mean, if it says they're supposed to be in the class, they're supposed to be in the class. Yeah, and also, let's be honest, like, accents are weird. Like, some people have weird accents as it is. Like, some people are born here and they have <laughs> up accents, you know, like, not to be mean, but, you know, accents are accents. You can't always pick exactly what happens. Like, I've had people telling me that I have a Russian accent. I'm like, are you f***ing serious? Have you ever heard anybody speaking Russian ever? More like Italian, but definitely not Russian. Now, there was a classmate, though, who described an awkward moment. Uh, a former U.S. Navy officer who was also fluent in Russian. This is what I'm saying. So this guy who spoke Russian said that him and Sergei briefly bonded after class one day uh, because they both had a passion for motorcycles. Um, this is what the guy said. I suggested we should ride together. And... Then as they were talking, the former officer detected like a trace of Russian accent in Sergei's diction and thought it very odd that a Brazilian would have such a Russian sounding first name also, because Victor is not really, you know, Victor is not really very Brazilian, right? So <laughs> now the former Navy officer said, I grew up speaking Russian. Uh, do you have any Russian ancestry? And uh, our boy Sergei, aka Ferreira, recoiled and replied, no, I have German. Now, after initially uh, seeming very enthusiastic to, you know, make friends with this former Navy officer about riding motorcycles and stuff, uh, Sergei dropped the plan immediately and distanced himself from this particular classmate. So <laughs> Yes. During his last year at Johns Hopkins, Sergei took part in a field trip to Israel with his classmates as well. And the whole time, he collected information on U.S. and Israeli officials. He then shared the list with a Russian handler he met secretly 
during a January 2020 trip to the Philippines. Of course he did, I mean. What's a bit weird, though, is how someone from such a supposedly, you know, poor, impoverished background, who was not offered any scholarships, afforded tuition and other charges that exceeded, I don't know, $120,000 over two years. Now, I saw that some are blaming the university entirely, but on the other hand, you can't deny someone education based on the fact that they used to not have money, but now they do. That's insane. <laughs> After his arrest in Brazil, Chikashov claimed to authorities that he had covered his costly education with shrewd bets on Bitcoin. Of course he did. <laughs> <laughs> In his case, we know that's false, and uh, but it can happen for other people. You can't kick students out or not accept them because they can pay. Yeah. It's on the intelligence community to find these illegals and not the schools, as we were saying a minute ago. Obviously, Sergei was receiving regular cash infusions from his Russian handlers, money that he then routed through U.S. and Irish bank accounts. As graduation approached in 2020, Chikashov flooded the field with applications for internships and other such positions. Among those he targeted, according to the affidavit, were the United Nations, as well as U.S. think tanks, U.S. financial institutions, a U.S. media outlet, and a position with the U.S. government. Hmm. And before Russia invaded Ukraine, Cherkashov wrote to his handlers, quote, the administration is definitely not in any position to help Ukraine if the fight breaks out. The administration does not want this conflict because they don't have any meaningful way of gaining something out of it. Now, Cherkashov was convinced that Russia would face no more than a slap on the wrist from the United States for the Ukrainian invasion, saying in one message that there were, quote, no signs indicating that the United States is going to provide any but political support to the Ukrainians in case of war, end quote. And such reports from illegals initiated the deeply flawed assessments that Russian spy agencies rendered in the months before the invasion. But let's also be honest here. We weren't going to help Ukraine initially. Mm -hmm. So his intelligence was not wrong at the time. It's wrong now, but back then when Russia invaded uh, the first offer to Zelensky was for a plane ticket. Exactly. We offered him a ride. and <laughs> He was like, I don't need a ride. I need ammunition. Very good point, Neil. And anyway, Cherkashov got his next big break uh, with this internship offer from the International Criminal Court. I mean, <laughs> the audacity, to be honest, because this court was created 20 years ago to enforce international laws against genocide, war crimes and other atrocities. And... This court has long been perceived by Moscow as hostile because just recently prosecutors there issued an arrest warrant for none other than Russian President Vladimir Putin, our boy Vlad, uh, accusing him of war crimes in Ukraine. So Cherkashov had some guts to try to get him there, you know what I mean? According to the Wall Street Journal, by March 2022, just a few weeks after Russia's invasion, Cherkashov had passed the security checks of the ICC and was accepted to the position of junior analyst. Uh, that's crazy and kind of scary that he passed the security checks. I, I don't know. I... You would think that they were more thorough. So uh, maybe the GRU are not that sloppy after all. Anyway, back in Brazil, Cherkashov started cleaning up his affairs. 
he planned to meet with a courier to stockpile cash to sustain him in his unpaid position. Then he hid computer drives and other devices in dead drop locations along a jungle hiking trail near Sao Paulo, sending instructions to his Russian handlers on where to find them. He also talked about strategies for future meetings with his handlers, proposing return trips to Brazil that would be easy to explain to the ICC. That makes sense. That's what I'm saying. There are aspects of this story that make me go like, oh my goodness, he was so like sloppy and unprepared. But then on the other hand, there are things that make me think, how did we find him exactly? Because how did we discover him being a spy? Because it's not really clear. So I think it might be that one of our people that is a double agent. But anyway, the entire time, the Dutch and our intelligence people had his eye on him. And on March 31st, as he boarded a flight to Amsterdam, neither Cherkashov nor his GRU handlers seemed to be aware that the net is uh, closing in. By then, the Dutch intelligence people had picked up their own signals that the Russian embassy in The Hague was making preparations for the arrival of an important new illegal. Authorities in the Netherlands then received a dossier from the FBI with so many details about Cherkashov's identity and GRU affiliation that they concluded the Bureau and the CIA had been secretly monitoring Cherkashov for months, if not years. Yeah, I personally think we have been, and I think we only let him go on with his plan up to the point where his position at the criminal court would have become a real danger to national security. I think the reason we allowed this to go on is obviously for us to learn what his endgame was and also to learn how he operates and how he was taught to operate, what what things changed, what haven't changed. I, I don't know, but I think it was a good strategy. In April, Dutch officials intercepted Chukashov at the airport, questioned him for several hours, analyzed his devices, and used facial recognition software to match the photo on his passport to online images of Sergei during his pre-GRU days in Kaliningrad. The Dutch then forced him to board a return flight to Brazil. Where he was detained as soon as he arrived, and obviously he denied that he was a Russian operative, unsurprisingly, and he insisted that the whole matter was a mix-up. But before landing back in Brazil, however, he had sent very agitated uh, text messages to a woman in Russia he had been romantically involved with for years, and he was trying to get her to help him get in contact with his GRU superiors. Now, as we said, Sergei is in prison in Brazil and he won't get out soon. And if he does, it's only going to be to be moved to a U.S. prison. And now to the American journalist detained in Russia on charges that he is also a spy, which we think only happened as retaliation for Sergei and the way Western media kind of humiliated the GRU publicly with this story. Not uh, intentionally, but just because they were so sloppy. Yeah. So the Russian spy story broke on March the 26th, and then, as we said, four days later, on March the 30th, the Russians arrest this Wall Street Journal reporter near Moscow. I don't think it's a coincidence. Mm-mm. Just yeah. payback for Sergei. Right, exactly. So on Wednesday, the Russian State Security Service, the FSB, arrested Evan Gershkovich, a 31-year-old reporter from the Wall Street Journal. And Evan is the son of Soviet-born emigres who came to the U.S. in the late 70s. 
and he obviously speaks Russian very well, and he was detained while on a reporting trip to Yekaterinburg, a city more than a thousand miles east of Moscow. Well, not more, kind of like 800 miles, I guess, near Moscow. Now, the next day, he was brought back to Moscow and formally charged with espionage in a closed hearing, because in Russia, anything espionage is closed. And he has been since held in Lefortovo prison, which is a horrible prison awaiting trial. Now, let's not sugarcoat this. It's bad. And because of the espionage charges, he might face up to 20 years in prison. The U.S. and Russian relations are getting colder by the day. We're already on opposite sides of this war in Ukraine, and we've also clashed over the rests of each other's citizens and the state of nuclear arms treaties. And what's worse is the espionage trials in Russia are closed court, so no access, no way to see what's happening or what's going on in that courtroom. Not to mention that Lefortovo prison is a horrific place, as Sandra said before. Uh, it can break down a healthy person in a matter of months. The conditions are appallingly bad, so it's not just how filthy it is, it's the cold, too. Yeah, I remember, do you remember when Trevor Reed uh, was finally freed from the Russian prison? And he spent about two years in a Russian prison and he said he was kept in a jail cell with blood and feces on the walls alongside mentally ill prisoners and he could barely sleep out of fear of being killed. I mean, can you imagine? Ugh. And Paul Whelan, who was arrested on espionage charges in 2018 and then convicted, got a 16-year prison sentence and is still behind bars in Russia, too. So it's not looking good for Evan. No, it's just so infuriating because this guy, Evan, is... I mean, look, nobody can be 100% sure, but he's, he's not a spy. The Russians were just pissed off that we caught their spy, right? And by the way, Sergei Cherkashov, you know, uh, our little Brazilian slash uh, Irish slash <laughs> whatever student... Um, who's in reality 37 years old, and he was posing as a 20-something years old, was charged in a U.S. district court in Washington, D.C. with the following, acting as an agent as an agent of a foreign power, visa fraud, bank fraud, wire fraud, and other charges stemming from his illegal activities. Because I, I wanted to mention that because we forgot to actually say what the charges were against Sergei. So Russia's Federal Security Bureau said that Mr. Gershkovich acting on the instructions of the American side, collected information constituting a state secret about the activities of one of the enterprises of the Russian military-industrial complex. Oh, give me a f***ing break. I mean, look, Evan... I mean, I hate to tell you, but uh, you could buy a Russian fighter jet if you got cash in uh, the former Czech Republic for like 200 grand. So, I mean, I don't yes, know, and look... You know, <laughs> Exactly. No, you're making a very good point. Plus, everybody saw the lame state of their military since the invasion started in Ukraine, right? Everybody thought they're like this gargantuan military power. Even me, like, I, I always said, like, oh my goodness, Ukraine is going to have to fail. And no, turns out they have all tanks, all sh that breaks all the time. So I don't really think that Evan was spying on their military industrial complex. Evan... Is accredited. This is important to mention. So Evan Gershkovich is accredited, the journalist, he's accredited to work as a journalist in Russia by the Russian Foreign Ministry. He wasn't sneaking around pretending to be someone else with a legend and fake passport and fake ID and fake driver's license and fake nationality. He was there openly and his presence was approved by the Russian Foreign Ministry, which is why 
I'm 99.9.999% certain he's not a spy. He's also of Russian descent. His parents were born there, and Putin hates nothing more than Russians who speak, uh, you know, the truth about the conditions in Russia and undermine his regime. So Evan, while an American citizen, is probably seen by the FSB as a sort of traitor just for trying to do his job and report on war efforts and other things that all foreign journalists in Russia are supposed to report on. Exactly. In my book, uh, he's innocent and he's being used by Putin. The bad thing is, though, there's not much the White House and the State Department can do. I mean, they're going to try to work back channels and see if a spy swap would bring Evan home. But it's going to be a hell of a task, because unlike Brittany Griner and Trevor Reed, Evan is accused of spying. And that's where the Russians seem to draw a very heavy line, although the charges are, you know, trumped up. Well, let's hope the U.S. will find a way to bring uh, both Paul Whelan and Evan Gershkovich home. Uh, until then, what's your dubimeter level for this episode from 1 to 10? Hmm, you know I love a good spy story, so I'm going to say 200. I mean, we have a Russian who pretends to be uh, a Brazilian orphan. He has fake documents. You know, we're talking about dead drops in, in the jungle. Uh, legends saved for 10 years on his laptop. It's crazy. And sadly, we also have the retaliation from the Russians with the arrest of Evan, an American journalist doing his job. I have this image stuck in my head of like this innocent South American guy with who like grows coffee beans or something. And he's just out in the field with his mule or whatever it is he does. And he sees this just pale, pasty, blonde haired, blue eyed guy come walking out of the jungle. He's like, oh, yeah, f Nazis everywhere. And still. <laughs> Anyways, that's it. That's all we have for this week. Uh, thanks for listening. Don't forget to recommend this to your friends and family. Yes, the best recommendations are personal recommendations. We love you. See you next week, to be friends.